welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. We have a very special episode today. After our incredibly long two-week hiatus, we had to make it special. So this episode, we are going to be talking about The Blade Itself by Joe Abercrombie, about the first third of it. But before that, we've got, we've got a new segment. We're going to be calling it... We're going to be calling it Ask an Expert. Or in this case, Ask Experts. Ask, ask the Experts. Uh, okay, yeah. You, it's plural. That's the key. <laughs> so we are going to be talking with the hosts of Pop DNA, Rhonda and Aaron, over the book Handbook of Mortals. Oh, it's hand- um, sorry. It's Handbook for Mortals. Just yeah, this get is in, very serious. Trying to get it here, We're very serious. Already, about this. already, we're off to a good start. <laughs> um, we're here with Aaron and Rhonda Hello. from Pop, the Pop DNA podcast. So, I mean, you guys have already you've already started correcting Luke. Uh, and Luke's read a little bit. <laughs> we have, I have no Luke's qualms read a little about bit correcting. About this. Um, do you guys want to kind of tell us the story about what's going on with this book? And the name of the book, if you could correct us The name that. of the book is <laughs> Handbook. Handbook for Mortals. For Mortals. So and the four is actually the number four. Oh. No, it's not. It's oh, not. I got really excited. Oh I was like, what? <laughs> How awesome would that be, though? <laughs> it would fit right in. Less than zero awesome, I think. <laughs> we, we often have little hot takes as our intro or, or random opinions yeah. that Dan and I have. And we have heard that you guys have some interesting opinions or hot takes about this story. Oh, so oh, yes. Yes. if you guys could give us maybe maybe an intro as, as to what the controversy is and then maybe a little bit of your thoughts on it. Yeah, totally. Um, I like to say this is like the fire festival <laughs> of publishing industry <laughs> stories <laughs> um, because it honestly seems like there is a lot more thought put into like the marketing and the image of this uh-huh. book and the author than the actual content of the book. Um, so oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. okay. So it's August of 2017. Okay. Angie Thomas's the hate you give uh-huh. has been at the top of the New York times YA bestseller list for over 20 weeks. A real book with something well, to say. Yes, uh-huh. very well deserved. Yes, um, absolutely. One Tuesday morning, <laughs> out of the blue, there is a new number one on the list. And it's Handbook for Mortals by Lanny Sarum. What? Published by Geek Nation Press. Okay. Okay. So what's weird about this is no one in the YA community or the larger publishing community has heard of this book. Uh-huh. So or or the author uh-huh. or even the publisher. So that's a little suspicious. I mean right? a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's even more suspicious is that this book has sold eighteen thousand copies in one week. Eighteen thousand. Okay. So that might not sound like a lot, but in the publishing world, a book at the top of a bestseller list, like in a good week. <laughs> would probably sell no more than like 10,000 copies. And that's like being really generous. Sure. So for context, The Hate You Give was at number two that week. It sold fewer than 7,000 the uh-huh. same week that Handbook debuted. So like fewer than half of this. 
Before we keep going, this is giving me a lot of insight into just how few books are sold. Yeah, <laughs> right. Week. Yeah, like, right. It, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, but anyway, so this was selling like twice as much as the right, next apparently. book. Yeah, like supposedly. three times as much almost. Um, so YA Twitter and book Twitter, like in general, um, and a couple <laughs> of journalists and authors, which if you are familiar with YA Twitter at all, it's, oh my gosh. it can get bananas. But anyway, sure. so they start doing this digging. Um, and uh, in particular, YA author Phil Stamper posts a series of tweets pointing out all of like the strangeness and all of the things that just don't add up about this book just appearing out of nowhere at the top of the list. Um, and so uh, like people are like picking up on this story and then uh, Stamper starts hearing from all of these booksellers yeah. who are telling him that they were contacted by someone Asking if, okay, first of all, asking if they reported their sales to the New York Times. Okay. Uh, Then the bookseller said that the caller would then, like, so if they said, like, yes, we report to the New York Times, then the caller would place a large order for Handbook for Mortals, (laughs) but not large enough to attract notice. So a bulk order... (laughs) A bulk order is typically considered 80 books, I think, at indie bookstores. So these orders would be for like 70 or like (laughs) 75 copies. Ooh, so sneaky and subtle. Oh my god! Yeah, and they would say like, don't worry about like, because like the books hadn't even been printed yet. So they're like, don't worry about, you know, whatever. Like we're just placing our order. It's okay if it, you know takes a while to get here because the bookstores are like we don't carry this book we have to order <laughs> don't it know what this we is. have to order it from the distributor um right so um yeah so that's another thing is that it eventually came out that the author um was an aspiring actress and uh-huh. she originally wrote the story as a screenplay uh-huh. that she mm. intended to star in herself oh honey <laughs> and so when the script wasn't getting any traction <laughs> she mean, decided isn't that what Lin-Manuel Miranda did? So. Yeah. <gasps> my love. Like, Goodwill hunting. Love of my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so like. I mean, it's when, working for somebody. Yeah. <laughs> right, I right. mean, it works if you have a good story. Yeah. But so <laughs> her script oh, wasn't burn. getting picked up. Um, so she decided to turn it into a novel, hoping that it could then be picked up for a film. So anyway, uh-huh. um, back to the investigation. So. <laughs> <laughs> news outlets are picking up on this story um, based on like all of you know everything that's going on on Twitter um, Twitter's just going bananas about this <laughs> um, <laughs> someone at the New York Times takes notice of all of this and then by the next day they have taken Handbook for Mortals off of the bestseller list and then you would think that that would be the end of the story right it was not because how mortifying is that <laughs> oh, like no. You've been found out. <laughs> like, yeah, just go. Just leave. Hide in a cave. It's fine. Maybe huh. write something else. But no. So Lenny Serum, the author, oh. really digs in her heels. Yeah. So mm. she does like interviews and she writes op-eds like defending herself. Um, <laughs> She's nothing if not a strong woman. We can right. say that. Yeah. <laughs> Very, um, okay, so uh, from that Vulture article that I mentioned, um, 
She claimed that she hadn't participated in any plot to game the system and wasn't even aware of one. She blamed her downfall on the YA establishment. Oh. The reviewers and authors and bloggers who had shamed her on Twitter because they didn't like her, she argued, because she was an outsider. Um, All right. Um, she hadn't sent them advanced copies of her book, oh. and instead she had promoted it herself and just among friends and like selling it at like comic conventions. So she was getting those numbers by right. like selling it. Com- uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And like that's eventually like what she kind of says that she did is that she. She she eventually admitted that, yeah, like they did call bookstores and bought lots orders of the book. But her defense is that her fans and her readers who were buying the book, they weren't buying them like in the traditional way, like through a bookstore. They were buying them at Comic-Cons. Okay. So they needed copies to sell um, at the events. But if they bought the books like directly from her distributor, the sales wouldn't qualify for the New York Times oh, bestseller shoot. list. And she wanted to get onto the list. So yeah, she did. Yeah. So she bought them through bookstores. Um, and then hold on, hold on. So, yeah. so she actually admitted to calling bookstores and placing large orders. Yeah. Mortifying. Okay. Okay, yep. so up until this point, I had a narrative in my head where she had created this book and a bunch of teachers at local public schools had, you know, gotten an advanced copy and thought, oh, this would be, this would be great. I should, I should put this on my students' summer reading list and had, <laughs> sure. and had ordered like a class's worth of these books from their local bookstores. And then, you know, their students are going on YA Twitter because that's where their students would go and right. seeing all these people like our teachers are gaming the system and I can right. imagine this student revolt starting because <laughs> yeah. they thought their teachers were trying to game the New York Times books but see, uh, bestseller list. <laughs> but now, no, now that's definitely not what happened. Right. Absolutely. But not. like that's the thing garbage. about the YA book community is that it's mostly adults. <laughs> sure. At least the people with any kind of power in the YA publishing uh-huh. industry are all adults. So that's right. really who it was. I have a whole other opinion about that, but we don't have to get into that. Um, and anyway. I'm a teacher and I'm not that charitable. I don't think <laughs> I'm not that like kind. <laughs> um, right. So I think since she started in like the background scenes of like Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. Right. And like Miss Congeniality 2. I Wait think a minute. She, she was in Paul she Blart was a fil- and Miss Congeniality. And I think she's shocked that she even had to include books. I think she's like, why am I not already famous? Like, right. I'm. Yeah. yeah. I'm Lanny freaking Sarah. I was an extra in Jason Bourne. I know Sandra Bullock, oh what she looks like from afar, because we worked on the same set. Wow. See, I'm you. You guys are saying these, and I'm actually starstruck because those sound impressive. <laughs> My thoughts on this was that I think she's just betting on herself. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think I think that's a good move. You know. Yeah. Like, just you know, she's putting in a lot of money for publicity and that kind of thing. Uh, betting on herself to do well in her product. Uh-huh. Just it's just apparently the product isn't good enough. <laughs> so it's real life Shark Tank on a yeah. like a New York Times bestseller meets Shark Tank is how I would maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think the thing is that like, you know, if she 
at if like if the book was only maybe like number six on the New York Times bestseller uh-huh. list, like uh-huh. nobody would have even batted an eye that right, it was right. like. But she sold. She claims to have sold eighteen thousand copies, mm-hmm. which is like three but, times as many as most right number one this, bestsellers. This is exactly the point, though. So if she had been number six on the New York Times bestseller list, nobody would have cared. Mm-hmm. But because she was number one on the best time seller list, that's a lot of marketing. Now, I was going to say free marketing, but it's not free marketing. It's not free, she paid, no. <laughs> she paid for 18,000 books. So, you know, that's kind of expensive marketing for yeah. a book. But here's, see, I think she could have leaned into this a little bit. <laughs> right. Okay, you what know, do you mean, kind Luke? of not, not really, not really given these like doubling down, like you mentioned, but at some point kind of admitting that you did it. Cause I could see that being a good move and turning into, and turn it into a movie into having, into, yeah, that she could star in or exactly. like the next VH1 reality show, like oh flavor of Lanny Serum or, yes. well, and then she could probably get a role in like some kind of TV show where she pretends to be an expert businessman basically, because she oh, had this, right. she had this amazing idea that, might have turned out well. <laughs> we could call it. That's actually brilliant. In the book, she um, she spells magic with a K at yes. the end, and the VH1 original could be called Magic of Love or the Magic of Books, and we could like Magic with a K. With yeah. a K. I think that's the title, Magic with a K. Oh, magic <laughs> with a K. Yeah, that's very good. Oh, man. See, I thought one of the one of the biggest stories in this is Thomas Ian Nicholas, <laughs> yeah, uh, rookie of the year, <laughs> rookie of the year, and uh, what was the other movie he was in? American Pie. American Pie, yeah, yeah. He still has stuff going on. That blows my <laughs> well, mind because I looked into it a little bit and saw that one of her defenses was that she has all these views on YouTube and things like that. But apparently all of the views are people being wanting to see Thomasy and Nicholas, by the way, three first names, which is interesting. But uh, OK, Luke, he didn't choose that. All right. So give him a break. <laughs> but wanting to see him and asking him what he's what he's got going on. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. wild to me. Yeah. Because uh, people were like, hey, <laughs> I'm a huge fan. <laughs> well, I mean, Luke, people are still sure. Into, I'll buy a like, book Hansen. for thirty five dollars. <laughs> Wait, the book is $35? Yeah, they were selling it for $35. That is in itself bananas. Yeah. Oh. And okay. okay, so so you guys have talked about that it's not very good. Have you guys read it? I have tried. We've attempted. <laughs> I we just um read out loud the foreword to the book, which it's is magical. like a whole uh-huh. Yes, magical with a K. With a K. Just like a whole <laughs> a whole like experience on its own yeah but yeah the book is just like it really is just like a self-insert wish fulfillment yes with just like paragraphs and paragraphs describing people's clothes uh-huh yeah well you know what this sounds a lot like to me is another wildly successful book series that i have no idea how it became so successful uh in fact, they made, I think, three movies about it. Oh, And oh. it was the Fifty Shades. Oh, uh, oh my god! Yeah. Which okay. the Fifty Shades book series, this woman, I think, wrote something that she thought 
would be awesome. Right. Uh-huh. Essentially a Twilight fan fiction. Yeah. It, it, that, yeah. That's how it started. And it blew up. And yeah. Now, well, she didn't, she didn't get to play the lead in the movies. Unfortunately. I mean, Bummer. she probably would have wanted to. <laughs> right. I, I would have wanted to if I had written those books. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Yeah. Yeah, I and, think... I mean, it worked out It worked out wildly well for her. Right? Like, just outstandingly well for the Fifty Shades woman. Yeah, wow. so I, I, I'm taking this as... I thought it was a good publicity move, just she didn't have the story to back it up. Right. Well, and I also feel like she... Like, she and, like, the people surrounding her didn't really have an understanding of how the publishing world actually works. Right. So, like, they kind of, like, they were able to figure out, like, how to, you know, kind of game the system. Yeah. But they had to hire an outside consulting firm to do that for them. Uh-huh. Um, and they also, like, <laughs> and, like, in the book itself, I feel like she doesn't really understand how books work either. <laughs> no. Like, yeah, E.L. James, it's, when she was doing the Fifty Shades thing, probably had had read some, had, some books. Had read some books. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Knew kind of how, like, business works, maybe a little. Uh, yeah, yeah well, maybe. Know. She knows how a narrative is supposed to be structured, hopefully. She, she knows know. how steamy things know. are Well, happening. is there a narrative in Fifty Shades? Mm, I don't think I there really is. I've never read. I, I haven't know. either. I don't know. Um, All right. Well, we don't want to get those hate tweets from people who love Fifty Shades. So, oh, do you um, have fans who love Fifty Shades? <laughs> Sorry, guys. We, we cater pretty pretty strongly to to those fans. Oh, yes. okay. We just listened to uh, one of your episodes on uh, was it Iron Touch Touched by Iron? Touch by, yeah, yeah. Touch of Iron. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And that we haven't read it, so we were just like, ah, we'll just listen to this, whatever. And it was still really interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that's. That's totally fine. We don't care if you read the books. <laughs> That's not true. But it we sounds do. like Please, that one was maybe kind of Fifty Shades-ish. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> we, so, yeah, we talked to Tamandra uh, after we had read the book. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it definitely had sexy moments in Touch of Iron, but I, I don't think Tamandra would, would love it being compared to Fifty Shades. Oh, okay. okay. My apologies, Tamandra. No, I, that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I don't y'all, know. Like you we said, don't know. Yeah, maybe she would love it. We have no idea. We didn't. That wasn't that, a question that we been, asked her. That could have been a question <laughs> we asked, but we just wanted to make sure people out there knew about this handbook for yeah, mortal scandal. It's important it's so, to us. Like we seriously spent like an entire weekend just like deep diving deep into diving. every article and every like YouTube video we could find about this. And so like, we have recommendations for those if anybody wants them. And I had written like a little bit of a blurb about how the novel goes, but you know what? It's like four dollars. Just go enjoy, yeah. you guys. On, on Wait, it's only four dollars? Uh-huh. I thought it was thirty five dollars. Yeah. Oh, oh gotcha, 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 gotcha. So the the hardcover yes. that they were buying from bookstores was $35, yes. but you can pick it up for 4 bucks on... Well, on you can buy the Kindle edition for $4, or I think you mm-hmm. can buy the hardcover on Amazon now, but I think it's okay. like 20 or okay. so. Okay. Either... So you know, you know what I've just realized, though, after after we've, we've just said this, is they... I think they're actually way smarter than we're giving them credit for. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say this, too. We're just... We're giving them free advertising right now. 
Oh, that's like, true. We, yeah. just, we just ran yeah. down the cost and where to find their book. <laughs> they, they are controlling Brilliant. us right now. So, yeah. So, listeners, head over to Amazon. Pick up pick up Playbook for Mortals. Handbook $4 for Mortals. Specifically. Handbook for Mortals. <laughs> I only hope that when this does become a movie, I'll be able to be an extra in the second one. Yes, Handbook in the for sequel. Mortals for two. Yeah. Um, and it's the, cycle it's continues. the least Lanny could do, honestly. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right. So um, now that we've we've given our pitch for this great book, um, I mean, I think I think we're all on the same page about it. It was I a great yeah. marketing strategy. Lenny Sarum, secret it's genius, its way into pop culture. Um, yeah, and if you guys want to hear more about pop culture and how it's it's influenced by books and how maybe it's worked its way into how we think about books you know head on over to pop dna hey absolutely check out what Rhonda and aaron have going on over there you'll also get a bunch of bad jokes and a few good ones but mostly like we try as many as we think of sometimes they land sometimes they don't yeah yeah smart it's it's a numbers game it's the pop dna promise you gotta try well thank you both for being on the show yeah thanks for having us yeah so thanks again Rhonda and Aaron, um, I'm glad we could help you all on your quest to sell many, many more copies of this uh, great book. So Great book. Can't wait for the movie to come out on that one. All right. So, Luke, should we talk about a book that's actually not garbage? <laughs> that we have actually read? Yes. So we're going to be talking about The Blade Itself. We've done a third of it. I think the chapter that we stopped at is called uh, The Course of True Love. It's the chapter we stopped at. So anything before that is fair game. As you should all be well aware of by this point. So I don't know. Okay, okay, just some background. Like many of the books we've done, Dan has not read this book, and I have. (laughs) Right. So when know, know that when Dan makes a prediction, he's going to be looking at Luke to see any reaction, to see how Luke. close I'm getting. <laughs> Luke's going to have to keep his poker face very straight. Uh, I, when, since when do I talk in third? I don't, like, I don't like talking in third person. I need to stop doing that. Dan loves it. But, so just some more background. When I first, I've read the first... I think this series has three books, but he has a bunch of other books in this world. I've read this series, but no other books in the world. And I have to say, this is going to be an extremely unpopular opinion. When I first read these first these three books, I wasn't a huge fan, which is rare because these books are very popular. And I'm excited to read this again to learn how wrong I was. Because I got to tell you, the first section of this, I'm, I'm digging it. Luke... Luke, we're all topsy turvy right now because we save we save opinions until the end. You should know this. I'm okay. Yes, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to lend some transparency to the process, Dan. All right, that's you know that's fine, that's fine. I'm gonna reserve judgment until I finish reading the book uh, because you can trust me. My name is important as an impartial observer of the fantasy fiction that we are going to be exploring, and. As an impartial observer to this world, I gotta say, can we get like a ramp for Glockta, please? Oh my god, okay. I have my second note on here, 
is word for word, can we get Glockta a wheelchair? Come on. No, well, okay, 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 okay. Here's why we can't get Glockta a wheelchair. He wouldn't sit in a wheelchair. What do you, what, like he, he, he has too much pride to sit in a wheelchair? Or Absolutely. What? This guy okay. does not want to be wheeled around in a wheelchair. Okay, this is where I'm, I'm not sure. Because part of me thinks that Glockta is at the point where he doesn't care what people think. But part of me also thinks that he finds that very important, and I'm not sure which one is right. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has an ego. Yeah. Oh, okay. Here's the here's here's I think where I think you're right, in that he would not sit in a wheelchair. He would be, he would be sacrificing some of the effect that his appearance has, mm-hmm. I believe, which he finds very important, because he wants this walking shambling vision of himself to be terrifying disgusting in a weird way intimidating like and a I monster think that would be he's trying yeah. to play the monster yeah and i think that would be that would be sacrificed were he to be in a wheelchair yeah but there's i there's times when he doesn't need that image that's true but not many seeing as the job he took is basically entirely dependent on that image. Okay. That's fair. And when he's home, when he's at his house, he is, like, helped a lot by people. He has a servant that, like, carried him to the bath, which he hated. He, like, described that as being carried like a mother would carry a child, and he was, like, pissed about it until he got in that nice hot bath which sounded that so good. sounded like the best bath i've ever heard it honestly it didn't sound like there was even that much in it like there was no i don't think there were any bath salts it was just hot yeah just hot nice relaxing but like when you're like grimy when you're dirty and you get in a bath a hot bath and it just all kind of comes off that's nice i could feel for yeah. glockta in that moment yeah, so, so one strength of this book is things like that, where the character does something and I can really feel how satisfying or terrifying or whatever it is for them. So that's, that, that part's doing pretty well. Uh, I, Luke, I largely agree with you, but you're taking me to another place here. Are t- okay, before we go there, though, Glockta... Wouldn't have had a wheelchair. But I feel like there needs to be some ADA regulations in this union. Because his job is at this place and there's no accessibility for him. He He, like, fell down a flight of stairs. This is a workplace hazard. You can't just put a ramp in. This is... Or... I mean... Like... He's got to be... Costing this department so much money in workers' comp. Think of how many HR complaints he's throwing up every day. Just like if I were him, it would be a lot. Every every step the, would get a complaint. The ergonomics of this office horrible. Also, there's obviously black mold growing in this facility, and that oh, is a yeah. health risk. I mean, I understand the point of it being a terrifying place to bring a prisoner. 
But that's, I don't think that's enough of an excuse. Here's the other thing. Is there a biohazard sign on the front of these doors? You know, I, I didn't see one. We talk, we're, we're hearing about blood being left over. You got to, there's probably a janitor coming over to pick up the trash every now and then. He doesn't know that he could get a biohazard going into this room. This is a great, well, but I mean, you, he's got to know the risks of his workplace. I'm sure they give him the proper PPE to handle that kind of stuff. Um, mm, you know, that's fair. That's only responsible. Okay. Good point. I'll, I'll rescind that. Okay, but but now we have we have to move on to to address the point that you just made that a lot of the times we can feel what these characters are feeling. The time that I did not experience that, but I could tell Joe really wanted me to, was with the guy talking to the king in the open council. The guy with all the writing all over him. So sure. this is the feared, I think his name was. Something the feared. Yeah. And everybody is terrified of this guy. And nobody really can figure out what's going on. And then he takes his he takes his cloak off and half of his body is covered with like writing. It's just like completely covering half of his body. And for, it sounded like this was trying to add to the intimidating effect. But I was just picturing like my desk from middle school with all these like doodles on it and it it did not make him sound intimidating at all to me. It made him look stupid. And his eyes are like darting around everywhere. Sure, he looks a little crazy, but I don't know. I'm not that scared of him. Okay. And then, okay, but but then he stabs a knife into his arm. That, I don't get why everybody's freaking out. So, okay, let me, let me back up. I... The one part I agree with you is his face. Because it says his face is doing crazy stuff, like <laughs> twitching. And that part I'd be more weirded out than scared. Right. I think, I think you're doing a disservice to his tattoo artist, first off. Okay. This is, this is what I'm picturing. Have you seen, have you seen the, that artwork that some people do where they like write the entire movie script to the B movie, really small, really or small something like that, and it's just field. yeah, 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 and it's just completely covered. It doesn't really look like script unless you're really close to it. So it, I think this this guy basically looks like half his body is completely painted, but you can kind of tell that it's it's some kind of script. So you're it's saying not, this it's guy not has just the B hazard. You're saying this guy has the B movie tattooed on him in really really small font. So it, it looks like it's really intense. But then when you get close, you're like, wait, this B dates a human? <laughs> it's got to be the B movie. Got to be. But then he stabs himself in the arm. Yes. Which is a weird move. Yeah. I didn't. Th yeah. Okay. Okay. Here's I can get. Initially, I was intimidated by that. Initially, I was like, this guy doesn't care at all. So much so that he will stab himself in the arm to prove this point. But the more I think about it, now, there was a point when I became intimidated again, and I'll, I'll address that. But while he has this knife in his arm, and he's challenging people to fight, I'm thinking, yeah, he's only got one good arm at this point. I mean, he's huge. 
but he's got that shifty look in his eyes. He's probably not going to be able to focus on me very well. <laughs> I think this is just all for show. I don't think they're expecting anybody to challenge this guy. I think this is this is a bluff. Okay. Now, I'm not saying I would step up and challenge this guy. Because he's eight feet tall, Dan. Yeah, but he's only got one good arm, Luke. <laughs> Okay, I think part of part of what we're missing here is not only is this aimed at being intimidating. Mm-hmm. I think it's more to show the otherness of this guy. Yes. Right? Yes. Like nobody's going to challenge an eight foot tall something that has half of their body written in some script and crazy things going on with his face who stabs himself in the arm because that you don't know what that person or thing is right i mean yeah i guess all right fine (laughs) fine but i mean looks like a person right aside from the tattoos have that okay does nobody else hold on hold on does nobody else have a tattoo in this world Is this the first person they've ever seen with a tattoo? Because if that is true, I would be intimidated as hell. That's that's an important point. We'll have to we'll have to look out for it. (laughs) I'm I'm guessing that's not the case, considering they 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 use the word tattoo when they knew what that was. But well, yeah, but that word just came about because somebody had to describe something they'd never seen before, right? Sure, sure. So maybe this is the first tattoo, unless we hear about. Mm, maybe three trees has a little midriff tattoo there we go mm. there we go mm. okay or a anchor maybe an anchor on his ankle to keep him grounded you know i'm gonna okay we've we've talked about oh wait wait, 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 wait. Okay, i do you, have you... to say when i became became impressed though or when i was like oh okay yeah i wouldn't want to fight him is when he pulls the knife out and there's no wound anymore okay mm-hmm. you've terrified me at this point well bravo right. yeah Okay, I'm going to bring us back a little bit, and I'm going to go over to Logan, who we haven't talked about yet. Very cool. Very, very cool. And saddest moment of this book so far? Yep. Has to leave his pot behind. Do you know how well-seasoned that pot was at this point? You You could probably lick that pot for a good three days and have meals. You could boil water in that pot and it would be stew. And he had to leave it behind. Rough. That's... You could use that pot to trap animals. Just like kind of waft the air coming off of it into the forest. Mm. I've, I've, here's a little personal anecdote. Just moved across the country. Tried to give away all my stuff. I have a wok that I've been seasoning for like a year. Mm-hmm. Hasn't gotten very far in the seasoning process. Takes up a lot of space in my trunk, but I brought it <laughs> because I'm not restarting that. Now, Logan, who's had this pot for, I don't know, 30 years? Wow. I don't think he says specifically. A long but time. A long time has to give it away. It cut me a little deeply. Okay, here's my, here's my problem with that, though, Luke. It's not going anywhere. What do you mean he has to give it away? He just put it... It's not going to go bad. It's He's had it outside all day anyway. 
So you think that he's going to come back and get this pot? Why not? It's a two days walk from where he's currently living in a very comfortable situation. Is it so dangerous he can't take a like a two days walk to go get his favorite pot of all time? Okay, that's fair. Yeah. No, he will. He's going to go get that pot. Mm -hmm. He's not going to leave that. Come on. No, you can't leave that. (laughs) Oh, okay. A little bit more about that scene where he leaves that pot, though. We come down pretty hard on a lot of characters that I think authors want us to really like. Nine Fingers is so great, dude. Mm-hmm. Nine Fingers, and I get we are definitely supposed to like Nine Fingers. I love Nine Fingers. <laughs> He's just a great dude. He is. Currently. Right. right. But that's what makes him, like, that's what makes him good. That's that spice. Little, you get that spice. Yeah, he's had a little character arc before the book started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I, I, yeah, you're right. He's definitely supposed to be liked, and the author did a great job of that. I'm loving. I don't know if I don't. I don't know if we have anything yet to make us. Because we okay. Now our goal has to be to find something that we don't like about Logan. Uh, Not necessarily in this section. <laughs> Hang on, Luke. Already got one. Oh, nice. Okay, g- g- give it to me. So. Luke, how long do you think Nine Fingers was practicing that monologue on the two days he was walking the magic apprentice when he asked him how many people he'd killed? I think he's been practicing this for longer than that. So long. How many people do you think he's given that monologue to? (laughs) I think he's been practicing this monologue since before his character arc had finished. You know what I mean? You're saying he started doing these atrocious things with the thought in mind, like, someday this is going to make a great monologue. (laughs) It's like, it's like, if I'm overweight and I'm thinking about losing a bunch of weight, I'm going to fantasize about the conversation that I have with someone when they're like, hey, man, you look great. What's your secret? I'm going to be planning my story, like, you know, look, man, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. You just got to eat healthy. That's what Logan has been doing with his bad person to good person transition for years. Right. Oh, okay. So you're saying when Logan killed that dude and his wife then tried to get vengeance on Logan, he was like, you know, I could just parry her and take the knife and tell her to be off, but that doesn't make nearly as good of a story when I have a redemption arc as if I throw her down a well. Uh, I don't, so I don't know if he's, I'm thinking of it more like he keeps, he's, he's still a bad person, you know, several years ago, Mm. but while he's still a bad person, he's thinking about, he's like, you know, maybe if I turn good, I could come up with this. I could, I could give this speech a few times. I see. He sees there's like a huge value. Yeah. 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 He's like, I could swing this to be a motivational speaker kind of deal pretty easily. Once I have to retire. You know, everybody's got to retire. Someday, Steph yeah. Curry. Steph Curry's got to retire. LeBron's going to retire. And, I mean, LeBron's already got his, like, gig when he retires. We've been holding that, you know, keeping the seat warm for him. Mm-hmm. This is what Logan Nine Fingers is doing, is he's he's building his retirement portfolio. Yeah. He's building his retirement portfolio, fishing for a book deal, all of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. He'll start selling detox tea, supplements. Yeah. Yeah. All of them. Okay. Yeah. There we go. There's a, 
there's a little thing, a little, a little criticism of Logan. I like it. But I just, I still love Logan so much. He's so good. <laughs> okay, let's, I've got to, since we're, since we're talking about Logan, I'm going to stay on his, on his line for a little bit. This, this fight that he has with the, I guess, bandits. I loved the bumbling nature of this fight. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. It just, it sounds like, it doesn't sound like a dope fight. You know, Logan's not doing crazy sword play, flipping back and forth, running on walls, doing crazy moves. Right. He's just like, I don't know. I don't this know. is a scrap. This is not a, a duel or an encounter. This is a scrap for sure. Logan is just like, all right, how can I get through this? killing them all and not dying and that's what i'm gonna do yeah and i'm not i'm i'm not always the person that is super excited about dark realistic fantasy or something like that which is what this scene makes me think of but in this scene i loved it yeah no it was super good it actually reminded me somewhat now that we talk about it it reminds me a little bit of the fight in hyperion where the corporal is fighting those like alien the alien race where he is just like on his last leg and barely kind of like getting through it and just like surviving essentially and it's Mm -hmm. very like how do i just survive this fight which i think is probably a much more realistic way of fighting people like yeah it's yeah the the like reality of this book and how it talks about things and Especially with, like, the diplomacy. So, and the the part of this book that I think really (laughs) makes it clear that it's a very kind of, like, gritty, realistic portrayal of what this kind of thing would be like is when the first mage, I think his name is Baez, when the first mage is talking to the King of the Northmen, and he says, oh, yeah, I'll, like, I'll, like, join your side. I got you. And then the king tells him his plan, and he's like, nah, I was totally lying, dude. You fucking fell for it. Okay. I I fucking I thought love this that. Was, you did? Yeah. I Okay, so I was glad that he was not a part of the plan, you know, that he was not going along with the king. Yeah. The, Beth thought, I think. Yeah. I, he just, he didn't gain anything from this lie. No, he totally. I thought he was trying to. Oh, he was. Get he was plan. trying to learn the plan. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. For some reason, to me, which I realize that I'm wrong now, it just seemed like he was. He just did that to to mess with people. It's like, dude, this is not helpful. What are you doing? Yeah. But, okay, I see your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think he was doing it. He wasn't just putting a whoopee con- whoopee cushion under the king's chair and like, <laughs> ha, gotcha. I think he was using it to figure out what's what are his plans. That he's going to attack England, I guess. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. And so I, I like loved the gritty, like, there's not a lot of like honor, really. Honor is mm-hmm. kind of not, a, it's a different kind of honor, maybe. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. By ba- yeah, Baez seems. Now that you've now that you've given me that insight, Baez's strategy seems pretty good. One thing that Baez's strategy does not seem very good at is designing libraries. Okay? 
Okay. Because his his I guess he has like a village and then he his main thing is this library. That's just it's three towers. It's terrible design for a library. What? That's that's so inconvenient. What are you talking about? Three, just three towers that the books are probably just stacked super high on. Give me, give me a flat compound so I can walk across these and look at the books instead of having to climb a hundred ladders to get to some book that I want. That's so inconvenient. Luke, he's like on the side of a mountain. Where is he going to go? Where is this sprawling one story library going to fit? I think he can do... Why is it three towers, Dan? Okay. Give me one give me one tower. No, it's gotta be three towers. You know why? <laughs> why? Because it's divided up into the sections of the library. You know, you got the you got the kids section, that's the little tower. And then you got the young adult fiction, it's the right tower. And then the middle, you got the restricted section. Ooh. You think restricted section is in the middle? The biggest one, yeah. Here's the th- okay. Let's say, let's say you're right, which I think you probably are. It's got to be. There's got to be some intense debates on where to classify things. Oh, you think so? Like, does Harry Potter belong in the children's tower or the young adult tower? Right. Yeah. And then some some new library master is like, this clearly, this whole section of books clearly should be in the other tower. Some guy's like, yeah, but they're really freaking heavy. I'm not taking them over there. And now it's a mess. No, I imagine that they just put them in whatever tower they think it goes, so the books are constantly changing location. Yeah, it's chaos. This is my point. (laughs) Okay, but also, apparently there are books that are so long they take up, like, entire wall, entire rooms. Can you imagine keeping all of the volumes of that book together? Okay, yeah, that's tough. And are we are we comfortable calling that a book? Yeah. Okay, I mean, kind of. It's a series, <laughs> right? It's a series. Yeah, I don't. I would call it a series. I don't know. Well, don't... but but it, but if the end of the of a book. Okay, let's say you're reading a book, and then you get to the last page, and it like, the words end mid sentence. And then you pick up another tome and you open it to the cover. And on the first page, the words continue from the previous that's a, tome. Isn't that's that one poor, book? That's poor design. That's poor design. Luke, he's got a lot to say. And the technology <laughs> of the time doesn't provide the way to do it. I just... You think a I scroll would think, be better? Ooh, uh, maybe a scroll would work better. Maybe a scroll, maybe a series of scrolls. Well, no, because we're still in a series. Your your complaint is that it's divided up into multiple physical books. But if it was just right. one book, you wouldn't be able to turn it, Luke. You would not be able to turn the pages because it would be like 20 feet right. tall. Okay, yeah, exactly. So you need, you need, you need like Juven, I think it's written by Juvens. You need yes. like Juvens' encyclopedia is what, is what it should be called. Oh, yeah. I think it's called like the principles of art or the something like that. So- Something like that. I mean, yeah. I imagine that's probably the equivalent in this world. Yeah. But, oh man, why, why are we talking about this? Because <laughs> the library, you think the library is poorly designed. Doesn't it also have a basement? 
Probably. I imagine that they're all connected on the ground floor via basement, and the towers are just there to look intimidating as hell. Which they do. They look really good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's... I, I, I don't have any more with this section of the book, this, this section of the story, Baez and Logan. I'm ready to move on to the other characters. Okay. So something that I really like about this is very brief this will this it's just like joe when you name characters i can't tell if you don't give a fuck or if you give a lot of fucks because luke i'm just gonna i'm just gonna read off three character names and their quick description goodman a a farmer who was wronged by a wealthy landowner who was seeking recompense from the government. He didn't get it, but he definitely deserved it. That's Goodman. Eris, a wealthy cousin of a uh, military man who has a huge fortune and is the only child of this really wealthy man who will inherit all of his goods when he dies. That's Eris. Severard. A torturer who is in the employ of Glockta. Severard. I can't tell if Joe is just like, fuck it. This is their name. (laughs) Yeah. To be honest, I like it because it makes remembering their names so much easier. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't caught the heiress thing, but that's, that's pretty funny. I, Severard is good because it seems very ominous. I will say about Goodman yet, we don't know. We don't know if he deserved it. We didn't hear the story. Luke, we heard his name. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Fair point. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to drag this nobleman's name through the dust when we haven't had a trial yet. Well, we're probably never going to get one. He's not, yeah, you're not wrong. To your point, we, he's, First of all, he's probably his name's Goodman, so he's probably he's probably a good man, you know. Plus, he's a he's a sad old wise and grandfather looking figure, so you know. He's a simple farmer, just wants to care for his family. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good man to yeah. me. Let's okay. Let's keep out. Let's keep our eyes out for more appropriate names. But I want to talk about Severard and Frost, the two practicals of Glockta. And this, this goes more widely to a lot of fantasy books. I'm always impressed that hen- how well henchmen know what their boss is thinking. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. I, love, I love a good scene where Glockta or someone else that has henchmen has some subtle cue that they clearly have not prepared ahead of time, but their henchman knows exactly what they want him to do. Loving it. And, and Glockta and I think... Frost is the main one that's on the same page as Glockta. Mm-hmm. Great, great team chemistry here. Oh yeah, they've been to a lot of team building workshops, and they've just developed a rapport that only comes with years of experience working on the job. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty impressive. A lot of unspoken communication, body language. There's a lot of trust. You know, it comes with a foundation of trust, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they know that Glockta's gonna 
really slice and dice somebody's fingers so right. They just have to be <laughs> so there, well. you know, to back him up. Yeah, Frost has got to send one of those one of those incredible punches to somebody's stomach at the right time. That really that really gets the conversation going. Okay, let's talk about Jezel a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's he's clearly designed to be rich nobleman that you know is a jerk and lazy and all that kind of stuff. The dude which is sucks. interesting because <laughs> right because we rarely get that perspective in books. You know, usually we get someone talking about the jerk noblemen who are lazy and that kind of thing. Mm. It's interesting to see their perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one thing that frustrates me a lot is, do you know how much a personal trainer costs? Uh, probably more than I would want to pay. It's a lot. Okay. And Jezel is getting the best personal trainer and seems to barely have a job. Like, you know what I mean? Well, no. Like his job his is His job to... is to go work out all day. Do you yeah. get, he works out six hours a day with this trainer. He doesn't right. have a job that you don't have a job and do that. His job is to stand in the open council room, basically. Right. It's just, and it's just frustrating to see someone, you know, get this great personal training that people would pay a lot of money to get mm-hmm. and just, you know, not appreciate it. He's wasting the gift, yeah. Luke. He's wasting, wasting the, the gift. gift. Yeah. Which I think it's an incredibly bold move for his trainer to go up to Glockta and be like, hey, I know you do that like torture stuff as one of the Inquisitors. So you're really good at like motivational speaking, right? <laughs> you think you could motivate one of my students a little bit and he gives him a little wink? Do you think he was asking Glockta to torture him a little bit? Do you think he was asking Glockta to pull out the meat cleaver and be like, hey, you should try harder or I'm going to chop your fingers into little tiddlywink discs. So maybe because Glockta is clearly not this, like obviously not the same person anymore. No. (laughs) I can't tell if, because they, I think he mentions that these two have not had a conversation in years. Yeah. But I'm assuming that, I forget the, the general or whatever his name. The Lord Marshal. Forget his name. Yeah, Lord Marshal. Uh, does he know that Glockta is in the Inquisition? Mm, I don't know. He probably does. If he's, he's like a high-ranking official. Mm-hmm. He probably knows. Yeah, what Glockta's job is. May I I think he's getting I don't know if he's wanting him to torture him, but I think he definitely wants him to give to scare him a little bit. Right. I don't know. I feel like it might be a little bit more extreme because he does it when Glockta is alone. You know, Glockta arranges that secret meeting in this place because it's isolated, like no one's around to really hear or pay attention to what's going on. And then the Lord Marshal's like, this is my chance. Because he, he doesn't want to look bad in front of everyone else like he's getting this guy to torture one of his pupils. But Okay, also, to, be, to be clear, this is in the middle of a park, Dan. Right, but Glockta has like a secret meeting here. 
Right, but that's because everyone is disgusted by Glockton and stays away. Yeah. So the Lord okay. Marshal's like, this is a perfect opportunity. Sure, okay. I'll buy that. Also, I think the reason why the Lord Marshal wants this guy to get a little torture action is because if he wins, the Lord Marshal is looking so good, mm-hmm. right? The Lord Marshal is looking, well, because he's like trained a bunch of these fighters who've won the contest. And so if his apprentice wins this time, it will like just up his prestige even more. So he's like, yeah, I could get a little torture. I need to get, get this kid uh, straightened out. Papa needs a new mm-hmm. horse. Right. Yeah. I've got... This is... Okay, this is... I haven't written this down. I've got some... You know, I said earlier that he's like the best personal trainer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Thinking back to his his ideas of training, not, I don't think it's very good. No, I don't think so either. The The fitness aspect of it is... Sure, it's, you know kind of generic fitness things like run eight miles, whatever. But I don't know if it matches. It's the right kind of fitness. You know what I mean? Like I would, I would picture Jezel as needing, you know, some, some short distance training, Mm -hmm. some some high intensity, short distance. Now I will say, I don't know what this competition is. I think it's just a fencing match. That's what it sounds like to me. But they've not described it in detail yet. Maybe it's like a, an Iron Man race that at the end you have to fight somebody. Or maybe it's like an Iron Man race that the first person to finish gets like a gun or something. Right. And so it's like, yeah, if you could just finish first, then just you get the gun, the end, whatever. <laughs> um, but if it is just a fencing match, it seems like he is doing a very poor job of training right. this guy. Like, if I am training Tom Brady, I'm going to spend mm, maybe one hour of practice on endurance work. And then the rest of the time is just refining that cannon, just getting that cannon locked in so he can throw touchdown after touchdown. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not counting on Tom to run 90 yards for a touchdown. Right. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not going to train this guy. He shouldn't be training this guy to swim a mile. When is he going to be swimming? <laughs> exactly. This is my point. Waste of time. You need give me give me some give me I think okay, so at the beginning of this there's some kind of CrossFit style strength workouts because mm-hmm. he's using like a heavy beam to instead of a regular sword. Give me more shoulder workouts. Give me some some more complicated uh, footwork drills. Get that. Get those feet moving pretty quickly. Not just fencing on a beam. Like, sure, that might help, but you're not going to be on a beam. Me, you're not going to be on a beam. You need quick feet. You don't need like I don't know. I just. I think he's, I think he's lost a touch. Dan. Here's what lost, I think it is. I think Luke. he's lost a step. Or, or okay, yeah, you go ahead first. So, I think he's just not very creative. Because if you've ever mm-hmm. seen a kung fu movie, you know that in order to train somebody 
and to punish them if they're kind of like mouthing off to you. You give them a menial task that seems like it's unimportant and unrelated, but then in the end, it turns out it's extremely important and related to what they have to do. And okay, it turns this is out one movie. <laughs> you were actually helping them the whole time. How many, how many kung fu movies have you seen? <laughs> well, I've seen The Karate Kid. Okay, that much is clear. Which is definitely not a... <laughs> please do not mean tweet me. It's not a kung fu movie. I, I know. <laughs> but I just think there's so many great opportunities here for him to come up with a... Because he's doing this to punish this guy. Because it's... You said Jezel, right? Yeah. Jezel is just not into it. And he's trying to run this guy into being into it. He's trying to work this guy and push him until he's like into it. And that's never going to work. If you've ever right, you got to create some incentive. Exactly. And so if you want to give him a task that's kind of like a punishment, also make that task be productive to what they're trying to do. You know, mm-hmm. have him punch mm-hmm. a hole in a board from three inches away. You know, right. That's exactly. another. That's another movie with a kung fu training scene, Luke. So. <laughs> Those are the two Great that references. I've seen. Great references, Dan. Thank you for that. Um, okay. On the same thing. Okay. This training, for another reason that we've talked about a lot in past episodes, it, that's that's kind of absurd to me, is this scene where they're on this beam, right, and they're fencing, and Jezel like messes up, and the Lord Marshal trips him and knocks him backwards off of the beam. What are you doing? This is so dangerous. Well, I mean, how high is the beam off the ground? Okay, fair point, mm-hmm. but you're, there's, there's a decent chance Chesel's tearing his ACL, might be getting a concussion, spraining his shoulder. Any of these things, very likely, with a tumble off the beam when his legs are just completely taken out reckless yeah well if he can't handle that luke he's not ready for for the duel better to not waste everyone's time you know what i'm saying okay or that's fair or luke the lord marshal has a more nefarious plot in mind perhaps the lord marshal has made a bet as to who will win this duel and that bet is not in jezel's favor Perhaps this is all intentional, Luke. Perhaps he is making him swim two miles a day because he intentionally... Which is a lot, by the way. It is a lot. That's a lot to swim. (laughs) Maybe he's trying to sabotage. Okay. Potentially. We'll see. (laughs) Um, Okay. One, One last thing that I have. It's about, it's about the Glock dissection. He talks about how he, because he's got all of his teeth out, he can't, he can't eat very much stuff. So he pretty often has porridge. And it's like he's eating this porridge and he's gagging all the way through it and sarcastically talking about how good it is, which clearly makes it seem like it's horrible because he's like vomiting while he's eating it. Por- it's not that bad. You can make it. You can make it good. Yeah, Glock, you're making it wrong. I think Glock is kind of playing it up for effect. You know, oh, I, he's got to be. I think he he's taken on this persona so much 
that he might not even know where it ends and where just a person exists in there. And so literally everything has to be like this for him. This porridge could right. be the best porridge in the world. And he would say like, oh man, sure wish I had a crispy apple right now. <laughs> it's got like you think his, truffle oil. His... <laughs> it's just like the fanciest porridge. You think his servant is there like, fuck you, man. Yeah. I worked really hard on this. His servant is like I weeping in the corner. This and thought it was phenomenal. I'm over here eating gruel. Wait, wait, what? Is there a difference between porridge and gruel? What's gruel? Uh, I'd have to look it up. I always thought gruel was just gross porridge. I thought it was just maybe, the way of maybe saying like it was... porridge without anything, like porridge boiled in water with nothing else. Maybe. Oh, okay, yeah, that's gruel. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So that's what his servant's eating. Galacta's over here. He's got some some porridge cooked in milk, mm. a little honey, mm. some cinnamon, probably. Can he? Uh, can he do? Ra- I don't think he can do raisins. He probably couldn't do peanut raisins. butter. Throw some peanut butter in there. Oh, Glockta. Yeah, he's just doing this for effect at this point. I can almost mm-hmm. guarantee that that porridge is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But. Luke, we need one, one brief aside about Nine Fingers that we got right at the end. Nine Fingers, unlike every other fantasy character in a book, is not a reader. And I love oh, it. Oh, that's a good point. I love it. Nine Fingers does not walk into the library and look at all the books with this gaze of awe and wonder. And we as the reader think, oh, he's just like me. No. Right. Nine Fingers, when asked, says, I don't really read much. <laughs> right. I brought, so, so I don't, I don't think we have a main character, but Nine Fingers is clearly the preferred character, right? One of them, yeah. And I think we talked about this in, I don't remember what it was, maybe fifth season, I think, where I thought that authors oft, often pander to the reader by doing what you mentioned, is make the re- the main character love books. I agree with you. I, I, I'm a fan of the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which we should say, it, it hasn't been every book we've read. But a lot of books, the main character, or yeah, a lot of fantasy books, the main character, who loves books. Right, right. <laughs> okay. I don't, okay, so I don't have this quite down. So I, this, this might be just kind of a, a, a bumbling note. This, this last chapter we get where we're introduced to the Northmen. Mm-hmm. That I guess we're in the band that Nine Fingers used to run. Yeah, Metallica. Nick nicknames. Yeah. <laughs> nicknames are not super subtle. Uh well, I mean, this dude's called Nine Fingers. Right. So we've got I, nine I don't fingers. know what you were expecting. <laughs> we've got nine fingers. We've got Dogman. <laughs> we've got weakest. <laughs> I, I mean, they don't get points for creativity, but they get points for honesty. Except for three trees. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what's going on with that dude. Okay, good point. Yeah. Maybe we'll find out why he's called three trees. Maybe the next chapter they're like, hey, three trees, why do you carry those trees with you everywhere you go? And how many are there? <laughs> he's like, oh, great question. You mean these three trees? 
That's <laughs> that sounds like exactly what we're gonna see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before, like, okay, before we got to that chapter, the king of the Northmen has a crown. This crown has a diamond on it. The diamond is described as big as a bird's egg. How fucking big is this diamond? So okay, so are you big as a bird's egg? Birds, lots of sizes of them. <laughs> I've we've got <laughs> eggs. We've got eggs that are like hmm, maybe a quarter size, one quarter. We've sure. got eggs that are like ostrich eggs. Okay, right. how fucking big is this diamond? Good point. You can't just say yeah. a bird's egg. Also, this is a fantasy world. What's the littlest bird? What's the biggest bird? Like, how big do hummingbirds do? Do hummingbirds lay eggs? Yep, those are gotta be tiny, pretty small. That's and then diamond. that diamond is so unimpressive. Then you're like, you pull out the like jeweler's magnifying glass to look at it. Like, mm, yes, that is a bird-sized diamond, bird's egg-sized diamond. Technically, <laughs> or this thing is huge. His head is like sagging forward with the size of this ridiculous rock on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could say chicken's egg. Know exactly how big that is. Yeah. I mean, you could give dimensions. A sparrow's you know. egg, a robin's egg. Also great. I'd know about how big the diamond is. You tell me it's fucking a bird egg. First off, bird is implied for the most part. Okay, when when you say egg, Isn't most it, well, people think bird egg. Okay, true. So we're... <laughs> but if he had just said egg, you would have been like, what kind of egg? <laughs> this is my point! <laughs> it's still not specific enough. Okay, yeah, I agree with you. Is this a kiwi egg? Like, what kind... What size is this Is this diamond? Is all I, is all I have a problem with. I need to mm-hmm. know how big this this diamond is and i don't i'm gonna i'm gonna in my head canon i'm gonna go i'm gonna go i'm not gonna go ostrich because that's a little too big i'm gonna go goose egg because that's pretty big that is pretty big yeah i'm gonna go with just a little egg i'm just gonna go with like a maybe like a robin's egg just a little guy okay that's fair a nice, I mean, that's a nice size. No, it looks ridiculous on the band. <laughs> it's the biggest diamond he could find, though. I mean, that's still a big diamond. Yeah, yeah but it's just a little guy. <laughs> we're back, baby. That's how we got to let everybody know. We're back. Right. We're going to be right. back next back. week. We're going to be mm-hmm. back the week after that. Mm-hmm. We're going to be hitting you with hot takes and acting like dumb nerds.